Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And now Ruth is giving up on her right to go to the field, and she's asking Naomi for permission to go. This shows that, that Ruth was not only willing to live, but she's willing to beg for her. Great. Let me now go and glean. She's not saying, I'm going to go glean, and no one's going to stop me, and I'm going to make sure that, that they respect me as a beggar and that they give me. Because after all, I have rights, even as a beggar. I'm entitled to collect. You know, humility, it's not an attitude of entitlement. Humility is a spirit of thankfulness. You know, humility is not Menachem the beggar from Fiddler on the Roof who said, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. And someone comes along and says, here, Menachem, here's one kopeck. And then Menachem says, one kopeck? Last week you gave me two kopecks. And then the giver says, I had a bad week. And Menachem says, so if you had a bad week, why should I suffer? (laughs) So when it came to begging, Ruth didn't say to Naomi, I wasn't brought up to live on crumbs. She accepted the lot that God gave her. She had the same spirit as that Canaanite woman in Matthew 15, 22. That's the spirit of humility that Ruth had. She didn't have the spirit of entitlement. She was thankful for whatever she was allowed to have. And we see the spirit of thankfulness in her. And especially she uses the word grace. Grace in verse 2. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. And we don't deserve to be saved from the wrath of God for our sins. But God saves us by his grace. And we're thankful. And we don't deserve to be cleansed from the filthiness of our sin. But God cleanses us by his grace. And we're thankful. And we don't deserve to be adopted by God to be made his children. But God adopts us by his grace, and we're thankful. And as rebels against God, we don't deserve a home in heaven in God's house. But God has prepared a place for us in in his house by his grace, and we're thankful. Which is why Peter said in 1 Peter 5.10, The God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. So Ruth knew that as a beggar, What she received would be by grace, and she would be thankful. That shows great humility. That's the spirit of humility there, of Ruth. And that's why she uses the word grace. And when we see that, we say, Lord Jesus, would you please reward Ruth with the crown of humility? This is Ruth, courageous, relying on prayer, submissive, humble. We see all this. We say, Lord Jesus, give her all those crowns. But Lord Jesus, make her to be the great-granddaughter of David, king of Israel. Greatest king in Israel, David, king of Israel. We say, Lord Jesus, make Ruth to be in your line as Israel's Messiah, the Savior of the world. And he did. Now notice in verse 2 that when Ruth was asking Naomi for permission to go to the field, she was not saying that she hoped that somebody would show her grace. She was not looking for her rights. She was just looking for grace. She didn't say, let me now go to the field and glean the ears in whose I I, I should find. She said, let me go to the field and glean ears after him in whose sight I shall find grace. See, Ruth had this confidence. She had this confidence that God was going to take care of them. 
She was convinced that God would show them grace. Ruth looked around and she saw what the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of in Matthew 6, 26, when he said, behold, look, look, the fowls of the air. They sow and reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? This shows this great trust that Ruth had in God, which was the same trust that Job had when he said in Job 13, 15, he can kill me. He says, but though he slay me, yet will I trust in him because he's good and I'll maintain my ways before him. I'm not going to let this trial destroy my trust in God. That's what Job was saying. I'm not going to let this trial cause me to sin against God. That's what Job was saying. Ruth had the same great trust in God. And it was this great trust in God that caused Ruth to have this great commitment to making the God of Israel her God and to making the people of God her people. And this causes us to step back and admire Ruth. And we look at Ruth and we say, what change happened to Ruth? What happened to her? First, we see that Ruth refused to let her circumstances make her bitter in life in the face of Naomi, who did let her circumstances make her bitter in life. You know, when she said it in Ruth 1.20, Naomi says, don't call me not Naomi, call me Mara, bitterness. The Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. And we see that in Naomi, the danger, and she saw, Naomi saw the danger, Ruth saw the danger of falling into Naomi trap. And we see the danger we face in life when a hard trial causes us to say, God has dealt very bitterly with me, and now I've decided to become Mara, bitter in life. See, Naomi was saying, I had a great life with a wonderful husband and two wonderful sons, and God allowed them to die. Oh, bad. He could have kept them from dying, but he caused me to lose them. Now I'm bitter over that. See, that's a great danger for us, to blame God and to become bitter. I, I try to be very careful how I describe my wife's death from, uh, from leukemia, to not impugn God. To not say, oh, you can't believe how bad it was on me. You know who did that? God did that. No, because we have to maintain our Naomi-ness and not go to our to Mara-ness. All right? So let's think about what Ruth could have said. Ruth could have said, my husband was so amazingly wonderful, and he was my life, and he died. And she could have said, we were so young, we were so young, and didn't have a care. Where did it go? You know, she could have said that. You know, so much in love with each other, so passionately in love, then he died. She could have said, we were so hopeful together. We look forward to building this home of love together and having children. He was my hope, and he died. She could have said, when my husband died, my life died. When my husband died, my heart died. When my husband died, my love died. When my husband died, my hope died. And now I'm bitter at God for letting my husband die. And I'm bitter at God for taking my husband away and the love of my life. She could have said that. She could have said, I loved my Jewish husband so much that I, as a Moabitess, look what I gave up. I gave up everything to marry him. I gave up my parents. I gave up my people. I gave up my father's house. I gave up my country. When I married him, because I loved him, then he dies. And what am I left with? Nothing. There will never be another one like him. Ruth could have said, I was only married for 10 short years. Now my husband's dead. I have nothing. I gave him my heart. My husband's dead. I don't have a heart anymore. I gave, him, gave up my life. 
And if Ruth had said these things, she would have become Mara, bitter, like Naomi did. But do you know what Ruth did say? Ruth said, I had to give up, and I did give up, my parents, my people, my father's house, my country, in order for me as a Moabitess to marry a Jew. And it's true that I was only married for 10 years. But I want you to know, Ruth would say, that during those short 10 years of marriage, something wonderful happened to me that makes me now say that if the cost was the death of our husband and our short 10-year marriage, then if I had to do it again, I'd do it a thousand times over to gain what I gained. Because when I came into this marriage, I didn't have God. But it was during this short 10-year marriage, I got God. When I came into this marriage, I could not gather with my husband in the name of Jehovah Jesus because I didn't know the name of Jehovah Jesus. And that meant that when I came into this marriage that my husband and I were just a team of two. But it was a life partnership of just a team of two. But in this marriage, I found God. And then with my husband, who knew God, and me knowing God, when my husband and I gathered together in the name of Jehovah Jesus, something wonderful happened. Jehovah Jesus was in our midst. And our marriage of two became a team of three. What Ruth experienced in her marriage in this team of two becoming a team of three was what the Lord Jesus Christ was referring to in Matthew 18, 20, when he said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. So Ruth could say, during my marriage, I became able to say, thy God is my God. Ruth could say, after I was married, like my husband, I also found Jehovah Jesus. And when I did, our marriage partnership of two became a partnership of three. My husband, me, and Jehovah Jesus. And so she could say, I got married because I loved my husband. And I wanted to get my husband as my own. But who I got was far greater. Because during my marriage, I got God as my own God. And Ruth could say, thank God for my short 10-year marriage because I found God in my short 10-year marriage. And that partnership, which started off as two with my me and my husband, has now became a partnership of three, my husband, me, and Jehovah Jesus. And now at the death of my husband, I have an eternal partnership of two, of me and God. See, Ruth could say, when my spouse died, I was not left alone. I was still left with that eternal partnership of two, of God and me. Ruth could say, was it worth it? To get married, to have my husband die after 10 years, you bet it was. Because if I had not married him, I would have never have found God. Because I married him, I emerged as a widow with God. Now, I don't know if you noticed it, but this is a little personal for me. Uh, because uh, two weeks ago, since my wife died, a little personal because like Ruth, I also had to give up, and I did give up my parents, my people, my father's house, in order for me, not as a Moabite, but me as a Jew, to marry a Gentile. And like Ruth, I also did not know Jehovah Jesus when I got married to Cheryl 44 years ago. But like Ruth, I could also say, I got married because I loved my wife and I wanted to get my wife as my own, But who I got was far greater because during my marriage, I got God as my own God. 
And like Ruth, I also started my marriage to Cheryl as a partnership of two, just Cheryl and me. But like Ruth, I found Jehovah Jesus in my marriage to Cheryl. And then as Cheryl and I gathered together in the name of Jehovah Jesus, Jesus was in our midst. And that partnership of two became a partnership of three. And like Ruth, when my spouse died, I wasn't left alone. I was left with the eternal partnership of two of God and me. You know, I used to have cats. I used to love, I used to love cats. I, I really got attached to my cats. I built them little houses and over my bed and all kinds of very attached. And I'll never get another cat. Don't give me one. I won't take it because I came, I became so attached to my cats. It broke my heart when they died. But like Ruth, if you ask me if it was worth it to have married Cheryl, I'm not saying she's a cat, but anyway, to, to have to married Cheryl, to have my heart broken when she died, I would say, you bet it was. Because if I had never married Cheryl, I never would have found God. But because I married Cheryl, I emerged a widower with God. This makes our heart go out for those without Christ who lose their spouses. They emerge a widow or a widower without God. You know, you think of the, think of the 19,000 people who died in the Fukushima earthquake tsunami in Japan and how the survivors emerged as widows and widowers, most of them, without God. Not like Ruth. Like Yasuo Takamatsu, whose wife, Yuko, was in her office when the earthquake hit And she sent her last email that she sent to her husband at 321 in the afternoon. And it read, are you okay? I want to go home. That email was sent 25 minutes after the tsunami wave hit the shore, Fukushima. She was never found. And now Yasuo, her husband, he has learned how to scuba dive. And he regularly goes out scuba diving looking for her body. Because her last communication to him was, I want to go home. He says he's giving his life to try and bring her body home. Now, when we look at Ruth and see how she was able to immediately go on with Naomi and meet those great obstacles, we have to ask ourselves the question, how was Ruth able to do this? Ruth is young and in love with her husband when he died, and she doesn't seem crushed by his death. Why not? And Paul provides us the answer. In 1 Corinthians 7, 29, he says, But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. See, Paul is addressing the problem that is so current today as it was in Paul's day. And that's the problem of professing Christians who live only for their wives or husbands, who live only for their children or friends and not for God. And the acid test to know if a professing Christian is living only for their wives or their husbands or their children or their friends is whether or not they would view the taking of that life of their spouse or their friend or their children as an unwelcome intruder in their lives. Their lives that they had built, if they look at that, that's an unwelcome intruder. If they're too attached to their spouse or their children or their friends, that they're not ready to part with them if God wills that, they're too attached to their wives, their, their husbands, their children, or their friends, that they would, that if that happened, they would say, I'd become alienated from God. 
That was the whole point of the trial of Abraham in Genesis 22. When God called him to take Isaac from his life, that was the acid test for Abraham to see, are you living for the life of your son Isaac or for me? And that was the test for Abraham to see if Abraham would see the will of God to remove Isaac as an unwelcome intruder in his life. That was the acid test for Abraham to see if Abraham was too attached to Isaac to see if God had removed Isaac, if Abraham would become alienated from God, cold, unresponsive. And Paul was saying the solution to this problem of overattachment to spouse, children, friends, is to realize what he says in 1 Corinthians 7.29. This I say, brethren, the time is short. That Greek word short is the same word that's used for furling a sail. When the sail is rolled up and only a little bit is showing, it's furled, it's drawn up, a small part is being used, it's contracted. Paul is saying that soon time is going to glide away. Time is going to come to a close. Our time on earth is short, as Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Now, since we've seen that Ruth was not overly crushed by her first great trial, the death of her husband, and in that trial, Ruth had no choice. She couldn't do anything about her husband dying. But what about the second great trial here of being reduced to a beggar as a foreigner in Israel? When Ruth got to Bethlehem with Naomi and saw that they were reduced to beggars and no one from Naomi's family was coming to their aid as a Moabitess, she was viewed as the enemy of the Jewish people, a Palestinian. Their only option for survival was for her as a woman to go into the field alone with men, with the construction workers. And how was Ruth able to not give up? And how is it that Ruth didn't just say, I'm going back to Moab, like my sister-in-law did? And the answer to that question is an answer for us when we face trials. And what is it that's going to make us to go on with the Lord Jesus Christ and live not as the world does, but live a life of holiness when we experience what Paul said is going to happen to us in 2 Timothy 3.12? All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You can bank on it. What is it that will keep us from passively turning away from the Lord Jesus Christ by giving him a cold shoulder, by being unresponsive to him when persecution comes? And the answer is found in Ruth, who did what it says in Hebrews eleven fifteen through 16, where it says, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Those verses describe why Ruth did not turn back to Moab. She was a Moabitess. She was encountering this tremendous hardship of poverty in Bethlehem. Because it says, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have an opportunity to return. She, if Ruth had been mindful of the country, Moab, from which she came out, she might have had an opportunity to return. In Hebrews eleven fifteen, that's a wonderful word, mindful. It mindful, because it means mindful. <laughs> it means a mindful of. It comes from the Greek word where we get our word memory or recollection or or rehearsing. So that's a word that's translated also, remember, when the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking of the 5,000, feet of the 5,000, Matthew 16, 9, he says, do you not understand, neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000, how many baskets you took up? See, that word mindful describes what Ruth did not have. Ruth did not have a mindful of Moab. 
of how good life was. She was not thinking, she was not thinking of how, she never had to beg in Moab. She was not thinking of how she was not despised outcast in Moab. The greatest danger for us to watching TV series and movies that portray the lives of the lost without God is they make us mindful of how good life looks without God. You know what's wrong with watching seemingly innocent TV films like Friends and Seinfeld? It fills our mind. It makes us mindful of the pleasures of sin of sleeping together outside of marriage. It has language in it that's dishonoring to God, like taking his name as vain. And it looks pretty, they look pretty happy. Those are things from the country we came out of. And our job is to guard carefully what we watch so that our minds do not become full of life without God. And just as Ruth said, no, I will not allow myself to go there. We have with these TV shows and movies to guard our hearts, as King Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence. Out of it come the issues of life. And so in Hebrews 11.15, when it uses the phrase opportunity to have returned, that describes our greatest danger. Our biggest danger is the opportunity for us to return to a lifestyle without God, which is as terrible as Peter described it in 2 Peter 2.22 when he says, but it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that is washed to her wallowing in the mire. But then it says, how did Ruth, how was she able to not be mindful from the country she came out of? This is how Ruth was able to cut off the opportunity to return to Moab. It's all tied up in that Hebrews word, desire. You desire a better country. Desire. That's the way to have the opportunity, to not have the opportunity to return. The word desire, or origome, it's not Japanese. It doesn't mean origami. Anyway, it has the meaning of stretching oneself. Stretching oneself. That's the picture of how we are to view heaven, as stretching and reaching for heaven. You know, when I learned how to ski, I went to high school in uh, Switzerland, and it was very, very hard. And for three months out of the year, we moved up to the snow so we could ski every day. It was a terrible existence. Anyway, when I, I didn't know how to ski. I didn't know how to speak French. I didn't know how to ski. And so, you know, my first step when I said, uh, anyway, I won't tell you about the French, but my first time I was skiing, I said, okay, now watch your, I started to watch your skis. Are they straight? I fell. I always fell, you know. You, get, you just start looking at stuff. But I found the secret. And the secret is, look where you want to go and lean toward that. And then your feet will just follow. Stretch yourself in that direction. And you'll get there. And, then, and it's all tied up in this word desire. And that's the way to not have an opportunity to return. I said, to stretch oneself to reach the way out for heaven. I'm stretching for heaven. I can almost touch it. I can almost feel it. It's right over there. Stretch by reading scripture and listening to songs about God in heaven and talking about God in heaven. That's how we stretch ourselves by desire, to be constantly making ourselves prepared to die. We stretch toward heavens. God has reward. God says, oh, you're stretching toward heaven? I'm not ashamed to be called your God. I'll make a place for you in heaven, he says. Now, it wasn't easy for Naomi to give her permission to admit that they were beggars. But she saw Ruth as courageous, as submissive, as humble, as relying on prayer, as not mindful of the country she came out of, as desiring a better country. And when Naomi saw that, she said to her, my daughter. That's what Naomi said. 
forget the Moabites part, my daughter. She didn't say, my daughter-in-law. She goes, my daughter. Go, my daughter. And when God saw all the character of Ruth, God was not ashamed. And God said, my daughter. Ruth's God. And when Naomi saw all the character in Ruth, Naomi was not ashamed. And she said, my daughter. Oh, that we might, we might be more like Ruth. Who, who, and who she was. Because she guarded her mind. Because she stretched herself toward heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Ruth. Thank you, Lord, for all we've read about her. And make us to be followers of her. Help us, Lord, so that you will not be ashamed to be called our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.